you, you just gotta at some point trust yourself to do these things even if you're not a brave person uh, you just gotta gotta do it because it's what you want to do Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Creative How, the podcast for curious creatives. Today, we have Hayes Peebles, a singer-songwriter from Brooklyn, New York, who's really making waves. He's been written up in Rolling Stone. And more importantly, he does our first ever Creative How live performance. I don't know if that's more important or not, but I can guarantee you guys are going to love the performance. It's really, really great. And also, Hayes gives us some really amazing insights, as usual. podcast. So I don't know if our, our listeners will be able to see this on some of the content we have, but we're having a beard off right now between okay. Sean and Hayes. I'm on the sidelines and I, I feel like both of you are, there's a lot of power in here right now with the beards. <laughs> I feel like Hayes has, pays way more attention to his than, than mine. Well, know? the grooming is better over yeah, here. it's much better. Well, I mean, I'm the guest. I feel like you'd right, right, have right. to say that. No, got, I'd say that. Um, you got a little I, more volume here though. Yeah, I was just noticing today that I can actually now have a, a nice cushion where I can't touch my chin. It, it has it has left the face. Yes, you know, kind of. Yeah, comes so, out. Yeah, it's an accomplishment. It's been quite a project since November. So. Congratulations to both of you. <laughs> well, thank you. You guys are good. Hey, uh, welcome, man. We are so psyched. Um, we could have done this. You're from Brooklyn, uh, Palom, I guess, and um, we could have done it over the phone on Skype. But you were super game to just actually come down and be here in person, which I I really admire. Um, and a little bit later, you're going to perform, uh, what we think is a, an exclusive, um, never before track of yours. So that look forward to that. But I think we wanted to kick it off with basically just like why music, man? Um, you know, why, why'd you choose to do this for a living? Well, um, if I had known the way it was going to go, maybe I wouldn't have, but <laughs> I don't think there was ever a choice. And I mean, I feel like a lot of people, colleagues, friends of mine feel the same way, but just ever since I was a kid kind of was the thing that I was drawn to. Um, mainly listening to music in the car, that kind of thing. And I was always thinking to myself whether I was sharing that or not. was like, oh, this is what I want to do. You know, hearing stuff, just driving around, being driven around as a three, four, five-year-old kind of thinking, yeah, this is I like this, this thing that's happening now. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to do that. Right. With no concrete idea of how that was to be done. Yeah. Uh, or at that point, no idea that I could play an instrument. Right. Um, but just kind of singing along and thinking like, yeah, I think this is a, this is a cool thing. I'd like to do that. Was it like your parents' music at first? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think it was? Trying well, it was uh, when I was with driving with my mom, it would be James Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was driving with my dad, it was Springsteen. So... Um, and those things still kind of linger with me too. Uh, I always used to like, you know, like sweet baby James, mm-hmm. like get really into that line about beer, even though I was a kid uh, <laughs> and uh, maybe that was a sign of things to come. But, uh, and then, you know, Springsteen was, was my first sort of like rock and roll experience. Um, in what way? And in, in terms of just listening or actually like having seen him somehow live? Well, I did end up seeing him many years later. Yeah. But in terms of listening, I think he was driving with my dad and he put it like in a CD because those were still, you know, yep. being listened to and purchased. Wow. He purchased it. That's yeah. Good, good for him. Um, 
And uh, he just turned to me and I was in the passenger seat and he said, you know, like, son, this is the boss and this is, this is rock and roll. So I, uh, I just, uh, the whole audience, everybody's listening to this right now going, you were three and four in the passenger seat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. With, you know, things have changed. You of course, with a, the proper, you know, <laughs> right. safety paraphernalia on, um, helmet. but yeah, helmet, you know, a yellow vest, but, uh, yeah. And then I was like, okay, well that's, I can get down with this. It's something I can, can subscribe to is, is this rock and roll thing. Um, so then somebody threw a guitar in your hands and it was history. Well, I started playing piano, All right. uh, taking piano lessons, like, you know, any third grader or whatever would, uh, I just kept going, you know, I think a lot of people like took piano lessons and hated it. They didn't want to practice. They didn't want to do it. Right. And they're playing like Bach. And so they just were bored. Uh, but I liked it. Right. So I, I continued to do it. And then it was my sister, older sister who started learning guitar. So she got a guitar, started taking lessons but her talents did not lie in that, in that world. So the guitar was sort of neglected and I was already playing music, already into music. And more of the music that I was into at that point was guitar music. So I just started to sit down with that guitar and just play it. Um, and that's sort of how the songwriting started. Did uh, you, were you taking lessons of, for guitar as well? Or is, wow. Okay. No, I just, uh, just sort of hacked through it. Um, I mean, she, was taking lessons so she was like well this is a c chord and whatever and then i already knew what all that stuff was from playing the piano and slowly kind of got my chords down and hmm. you know played with the neighbor and played with some friends and like sort of skimmed knowledge off of them and slowly became something like a guitar player um, so, so we've had Kiko Larrero of Megadeth on our show um, a little while back. Yeah, he's and, a lot better than I am. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, he's he's amazing, but he cannot read sheet music. Do you read sheet music? No, okay. not anymore. I mean, he, he I said was, he was like, you don't have to. No, uh, you I don't. I mean, I well, you know, I vary. My opinion changes because I know guys that can read really well and they're super pro and they can just sit down and in front of this piece of paper and then they can play the song and that's very cool. Uh, and I, and I didn't like wish that I had that, but I, you know, it's a skill it needs to be honed yeah. and practiced. And that was the part of like p playing piano that I didn't like mm -hmm. was like having to do that. So I would, I would always kind of cheat and just like listen to it, the audio and then do it by ear. Mm. So I just kind of continued cheating until I completely lost that skill. And, uh, it's nice to be able to play by ear too. I mean, I'd rather that than right. only be able to like sit with, you know, yeah. a piece of sheet music, but. Cool. Uh, I've always wondered. And it was always like a, it was a question I wanted to ask Kiko. It was a question I wanted to ask you. Cause I didn't know it sounds like you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Which immediately gets me 25% closer to my goal of replacing right. Eddie Vedder. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Almost there. Yeah, I mean, you know, forget the discipline part, just jump right in. Exactly. Almost there. Yeah. So you're, you're, you know, you mentioned your dad was Springsteen. Mm -hmm. um, well, my dad was not. No, 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 no. Well, <laughs> the, I'm, I'm that would have been, yeah. uh, been great. That would have been amazing. That's <laughs> kept that under wraps for so long. Um, <laughs> you know, but in terms of when you were able to manage buying or purchase, you know, acquiring your own music, what was the first band or, mm -hmm. or type of music that you, that you remember? Well, my, as much as my parents, influenced that music. 
and sort of riding the car and their CDs were mine. I also have an older sister and that was probably in the end became more influential. So what she listened to, she's four years older than I was, than I am. And she would bring stuff around and that was automatically what I thought was cool then. Now the first thing that I think she really brought around and got in trouble for buying was uh, Blink-182. Oh wow. Enema of the State, you know, with the with the hot nurse, you know, snapping the glove on her on her hand. Um so that was like the first C- uh, CD music that felt like was ours. And I mean, I still have a soft spot for that for that record for that music. Right. Uh it probably wasn't as influential in terms of what I ended up writing and, and making, but I can picture the cover of that CD really well. well we were going to talk um, covers later, but is that one you could reinterpret one of those songs right. in, in, I wonder. in uh, your style? That would be pretty damn amazing. Maybe. Just slow it down, <laughs> make it awesome. sad. Yeah. You get some angels and airwaves in there too, right? Oh, that's... Uh, You're mixing bands. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I actually prefer those guys better. They're, they're, that was the more mature. They're, that was the exactly, mature Blink One Eighty Two, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> the adult, the adult take. Just yeah. moved on a little bit. So Hayes, how uh, after all those influences, how do you describe your your style today? Well, I usually take about fifteen minutes to try and stumble through it. It's, one of, the, it's one of the weirdly the harder questions that I'm asked, and usually I'm just like, oh, you should just listen to it. The box that it fits in right now is is alt country, alternative country, indie folk one of those, those are all really big boxes. First and foremost, I'd like to think of myself as a, as a songwriter. And so I like what I would say is stereotypical songwriter music. And that often leans towards that kind of like acoustic man and guitar or woman and guitar, person and guitar kind of thing. But then that kind of led me down a rabbit hole because there are lots of different ways to do that. Um, so I always, you know, growing up was listening to like indie rock, like the the classic stuff. You know, as a kid in New York City, Strokes were the thing. Interpol, all those bands, like the, the early aughts indie music was the stuff, right? Um, but privately was still into the more like what I used to call like acoustic music, mm-hmm. right? Um, which was just more singer-songwriters. And that took me through different phases because there are different, a whole, there's a whole swath of different, ways to play music that way but i ended up really into you know neil young particularly uh live at massey hall in 79 was like this album that was really huge for me i was like well i kind of want to find more stuff like this so that led me more into a twangier side of of songwriter music what i thought again was like acoustic music right Mm -hmm. um you know towns van zandt was a big one for me but simultaneously like so was nick drake uh and Elliot Smith. And so all this stuff sort of started molding together, ended up kind of forming this hybrid, you know, which to me is I, I want to play music that I genuinely like. And I try to let real kind of inspiration guide my songwriting as much as I can. What kind of comes out is like my sort of fundamental orientation is like indie rock music, but I've always sort of privately until, you know, recently sort of cherished this kind of twangier, you know, sometimes straight country music, sometimes just singer songwriters. And the more I got into that stuff, the more I realized that, you know, country music is in a lot of ways focused on the song, right? And what I what I love are, are good songs um, in any genre, right? Across the board, right. it's like a song that is done 
well. And so I've just been spending more time in that world lately. What do you end up, what I end up with is stuff that just comes from the kind of weird melting pot that I've been experiencing the past, you know, 10 years where I, for a long time was, I was like, you know, one of those dudes that was like, you know, I like everything but country music. Right. Right. (laughs) And like, you know, um, you've matured. I hope so. You know, I don't know, but I I think it's cool that you've reserved the right to, to not subscribe to either one. And and to your point, letting the music take you where you want to go. Cause then that gives you the right to sort of shift genres, you know, mid album, mid whatever. Um, I think that's really smart. I think that's a a cool way to go about it. I actually have, have said many times in the past that I don't like country music, quote unquote. And I think what I mean is country pop. And I, you know, love Johnny Cash and some old, old people, but Sturgill Simpson is somebody I've listened a lot to. And you're sort of reminding me of him in terms of how you're describing your style, because I've listened to his, um, descriptions too. And it's like, it veers all over the place and he's done covers of, you know, like nineties rock bands and stuff yeah. like that. So do you, do you listen to him or I do? Like yeah. That? That's, uh, you know, I remember, you know, a while ago, the album before metamodern sounds and country music was almost still like too country for me. Um, and now I love it because the songs are just so good and, mm-hmm. and there's great pedal steel playing and all that stuff. But that album, Meta Modern Sounds, was one that I was like, okay, well, this guy's being cast as the savior of country music because he's just making stuff that's real but uses, you know, the sounds of his life and his home and, like, the tradition of country music. And that, in a lot of ways, too, I think was like, well, I'm a little less shy about mixing things. And in my case a little less shy about like owning up to what I kind of for a long time was like secretly listening to this kind of music, you know? Uh, and for a long time was writing even under my own name stuff that was like really heavily indie leaning. Uh, and some of the songs that I have out now, I like kept on the shelf for two or three years because I was like, no, these are just kind of like country songs that I wrote and that was fun. But you know, at, you know, best case scenario, I'll like sell them to somebody. You know, right. And now, now like, I love to play them because I'm just like, I'm not worried about it too much anymore. Right. So Trying not to, 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 to anticipate too much what the genre is going to be and just kind of write it knowing that, you know, the stuff I'm listening to, my inputs are going to come out the other end, like whether or not I want them to. Right. Is there a, a whole other body of work of like indie rock songs that you have somewhere? There are a couple different wow. bodies of bodies of work. Wow, some of them cool. should be forgotten. Um, <laughs> yeah. Some of them, yeah. some of them are, are, are or a uh, future box set in 2040. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, anyway, I can <laughs> fucking squeeze a penny out of these. Uh, That'd be great. Out of these high school demos. <laughs> you know, right. Happily. Um, yeah. But I mean, I also, you know, I've played in different bands and I've played different instruments in different groups. And were you singing in those bands too? Or was that? I've usually been singing. Yeah. Um, I've shared frontman duties. I have just played guitar and bass and mm-hmm. been like a side guy, and which I enjoy too. Something really nice about playing someone else's stuff, and not worrying about the responsibility of it being your your music. Yeah. Um, but you know, all throughout high school, I was in bands like imitation bands. I was in a like a classic rock revival band. You know. Huh. Uh, played in sort of like a funk pop hybrid thing, you know, it, it kind of runs the gamut. I like to play. That's it. I was going to make a joke about, uh, there's a revival band right now called Greta Van Fleet, but I kind of like them, unfortunately. 
So I, okay. That's one of those when things you kind of don't tell anyone. Yeah, I know. I just did, though. I mean, I'm not. Edit that out. I, I know that in this moment, there's a lot of, you know, a lot swirling around them. I actually met them. Uh, was playing a show at the Mercury Lounge in, in uh, downtown Manhattan. And for some reason, they were playing the early show. So they have a couple slots there. They'll do like 6 and 7 p.m. slots. And then eight and nine, and later on, I was playing at eight or nine o'clock or something, opening for my friend Sean Carroll. And I got there early because I just do that. And I like went down to sit in the green room, and I noticed that the place was full, and like six thirty in the evening. And I kind of looked through the doors, and it was just like packed and sweaty, and people were rocking, and they were like, you know, it was Greta Van Fleet doing their thing. Yeah. And you know within the context of that venue, they were absolutely killing it. They were, everyone was going crazy. Yeah. And I remember them coming down and being like, this was our big show, man. Like things are looking up. And I was like really happy for them. I had no idea who they were. I did think that maybe they were Zeppelin cover band. <laughs> um, right. right. How could you have made that mistake? But, uh, but I was like, cool. I mean, I guess they have some originals and, yeah. uh, and they were stoked and I was, and I was happy for them. And, uh, I hope they're happy doing their thing. I think they're having yeah. fun. Yeah, look, more power to them, man. I yeah. think we, any of us would change spots in a minute. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, no, doing a podcast is way better. Uh, let's get into like lyrics. You were talking about songwriting and and you know inspiration for lyrics. You know, being someone who doesn't do that or has never done that and probably never will do that, it's still a huge mystery. And um, are you, when are you writing? When is your optimal time? Like, how did you just approach that? I think it's, it's an ongoing kind of process. The way that I write, it used to be quicker and faster and I don't know, more pure, if that makes sense to say, where it's like, I would sit down only when and if I felt whatever that kind of bolt of like creative energy was. And I'd sit and things would just kind of come to me as opposed to sort of working them and crafting them. So that was my initial kind of experience with, with writing lyrics was like, it was easy and they're being sent to me. Um, now, you know, you don't, you get the lightning bolt thing, but not always as often. And you also want to sit down and, and work on things and, and, and set goals for yourself. And you want to write about this particular thing and, you know, not sort of wait around for the, for the muse, right. You want to just kind of go and do it. But a lot of the lyrics will fall out of the writing of the music, aspect um because i'll basically sit down with a guitar usually guitar play some chords noodle finger pick you know whatever try and get something that sounds nice progression cycle and then if i have something kind of satisfying i'll just sort of sing over it and there'll be not always words but like one phrase two little phrases a couple words and then some nonsense some right. some gibberish for whatever reason, usually one of those original phrases uh, stays and sort of forms like a, a foundation for the rest of the for the words. Right. And, and I think that's because the intuition when I'm just getting to know these chords and the way the song sounds, maybe my intuition leads me to words that seem to match somehow with the feeling of what I'm playing or what right. I think the feeling of what I'm playing is. So are you when you're in that situation, are you setting out to write a love song or something that like really rocks or something that's kind of melancholy or does it just sort of uh, happen? You know, I try to let the process guide me if I can. But what I learned doing that was that if I always 
just let it be like, here are the chords or here's the riff. Here's the idea. And I'm just going to let that guide me. I usually end up with not the same song, uh, but similar songs. Okay. And those songs tend to be slower ballads of some sort, you know, kind of some of like usually delicate music, right. uh, just seems to be where I go automatically. Uh, sometimes I just have to fight that a little bit. And sometimes I'll sit down and be like, maybe you should start with a guitar riff or think about the way you want the drums to move because I love to play songs that move as well. You know, rock and roll music too. Um, But in terms of lyrics, it all kind of, there's in some way, like you'll get that first line or seed that creeps in and that's pretty intuitive. And then from there it's, over the course of the next three or four days, coming back, taking passes, trying to get as much down as you can in the beginning, and then continuing to edit. Right. right. So there's a song, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have heard your music and they'll listen to it for sure after this, but there's a song called Ghosts that I've listened to a whole bunch of times. And I'm wondering specifically about that one, because to me, you know, it's it's nostalgic in some way. But did you have the idea of like, things that happened in your past being ghosts or are you thinking about things that you've learned from your parents or siblings or how did it work? Well, that one started with just the, like, I think really the line, the first line is when I was younger. And I think that was just how, when I started singing, you know? Um, And then I just tried to make myself finish the phrase, right. And continued to finish the phrase. Uh, And that song came pretty, pretty naturally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to think about like, why, why was that phrase, the phrase that was on my mind, you know, at that point in time and why was, why was it something that needed to be completed? Um, if that makes sense. And then you kind of spit it all out and you write it all down. Maybe, maybe you'll write like four or five verses to a song that should only have two and then go back and, you know, call some things and straighten some things up and. Do you kind of like walk into a day of songwriting and go like, you know what, we're going to do something up tempo today. Does that ever kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've tried to be, I've tried to be better about that. Right. I mean, so there's the side of it that's, you know, inspired and where you don't really make as many choices and you just kind of go with it and, and do it. And that's a wonderful thing. And I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think about songwriting and that's why there's a mystery to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I love to preserve that mystery as much as possible. <laughs> um, uh, and often tell people when they ask me, like, what's that line about? I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you about that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's cool. Um, but. Uh, what keeps it personal? Sure. Like, and I think. But, you or know, interpretation, I, I guess. Also. For me, it's, I think, like, what I enjoy in other music. When I take meaning from songs, I am aware of the fact that it's my meaning right mm-hmm. and there are songs that like are pretty clear there are songs that it's actually documented what they're about right that's part of the fun yeah you know uh, the ambiguity allows for that to happen i think you're right and i think well th- that is fun and it's also going to be attached to certain things in your life that are just going to be so powerful with meaning and really it's not going to matter what you say it's about it's it's again it's that listener having and acting and connecting we're going to talk about that a little bit later about how you know what do you think really about your music appeals to your, your audience or your fans or whatever? Um, but I think on another level, like I, I, I appreciate that you're trying to keep that mystery and things like that. And it's, 
the writing for something like home, right? And I think I told you this when we were first talk, like, and my, my daughter said it again this morning. She's like, I really like this song. Like, so she's nine years old and you've connected. And yeah. whereas like it's, it's on repeat in the morning time when we get up and, uh, she wanted to make sure that I had told you that, you know, she really loves it's it. Awesome. And she's like, well, I don't like love it, love it, but I love it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I mean, she loves it, loves it. I don't, I don't know what that means. I think it does. All I hear is Alexa play home <laughs> in her room. Cause they have the dots. But is that important for you? Like, and to kind of have a range of, of fans and, and have that connection. I think it's, I think it's a very nice thing. I, I, don't even know if I've thought as much about, is it important? I mean, I've like function, I've sort of approached music at various levels of like seeing myself as like completely this artist who just does his work and people will do with it, take it the way they want and who cares if they don't like it. Yeah. Right. And you have to have a healthy dose of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you want to do your own thing mm -hmm. uh, or just make it through without, you know, losing your self-esteem, right? Yeah, you have to sort of not care in some ways. It is nice, I think, to know that there are people my age and older who can like the song, and also someone very young uh, can enjoy it too. Uh, and maybe, maybe that has to do with the kind of ambiguity I was talking about yeah. before, right? Where people can step in and try and inhabit the song, uh, and I think people like to do that, right? People enjoy that, um, and. Or is it ironic that you're now someone's Blink-182? <laughs> I mean. Because <laughs> that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, it's uh, like. I'll, I'll my dad used to play Hayes Peebles in the kitchen. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, very well happened. It's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, I my dad would also warn me about Blink-182. So, you know, maybe it's more wholesome. Yeah. But, uh, right. well, we'll see how this conversation goes, whether I'm warning, warning her or not about Hayes Peoples. <laughs> so Hayes, let me jump back to the, to writing real quick. Um, because I think, you know, a lot about, a lot of this is about teaching people. They say that writers to become great writers, you have to read and it expands your brain and things like that. In terms of songwriting, how did you learn and how do you, aside from practicing and writing, how do you feel like you, expand your skill set there. Yeah. Well, this, this kind of has to do with like, I guess what my more concrete advice is for people that want to write music. Um, first step is to just kind of immerse yourself. Uh, and that's listening, uh, actively, you know, listening. I learned guitar more or less because I was willing to sit down, listen to the songs that I liked and figure out how to play them on the guitar also, you know, taught me how to play the chords and to sing in certain ways, but also the sensibilities of those songwriters and the way that those things kind of worked and immersing yourself. Also looking to see as many shows as you can, you know, watch people do what they're doing, you know, decide what you like and figure out how it's done. It doesn't, you don't have to approach it like some scheme, right? But just spend time with the things that you really like and learn how to do them. Uh, and you'll start to gain an appreciation of, of what it takes to do those things. You're not technically doing them yourself, but you are, you are doing them, right? Yeah. You're, you're figuring right. out like who's using what kind of chords and, and how the songs work and, and how these songwriters lean and what their idiosyncrasies are. Um, and that's kind of step one, right? It's like, 
for me was a way of learning the guitar, but it was also, I think probably gave me a head start in terms of writing because it was also this exercise in, in like learning the minds of, of people that wrote music that I like. Um, so there's a place to start. You, you are a man or a person with a guitar on a part of the time. But then there's the other time where you have the full band and you're getting into more of arrangements. How did you start getting confident with that type of uh, process? Yeah, that, well, that's one of my favorite parts um, of the process is arranging and like knowing the, the bones are there and you just got to get to it's decorating add, add at the flesh. Point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's um, cool. Um, that came from a lot of experimentation. Um, and that's actually kind of maybe the second part is stepping back. Once you've really like dug deep into the stuff that you like and want to know more about is then like taking a step back and then thinking about, who you are and your relationship to that music and thinking like, well, Neil Young is great, but I'm not Neil Young. It doesn't make sense for me to try and be Neil Young. Like what, what do I loving what I love, knowing what I know bring to the table? Um, what are those things that like make my music, my music? And that's a very hard part, but involved in that is arranging. And one of the things I did for a long time was like take these songs that I was writing and I was writing a lot of songs, most of them not very good uh, and just trying to make um, demos. So I would, you know, I have, I had like a $30 microphone in like a, like a little plastic MIDI box so I could plug my guitar into garage band, you know, and record some tracks. And then it was entirely up to me once I felt like I had the, main tracks like what i wanted to do with it um and i would just spend hours doing that and it was you know it's fun right to just have like this thing that i can just lay things over again and again um and just experiment with cool yeah it's funny you said uh neil young is neil young we interviewed a woman named jamie winden who started a rum distillery and she said you know, people come in and they say how great her rum is. And then they automatically say like, you should make fireball too. And she's like, well, fireball makes fireball. Right. So it's, it's a passion for a specific thing that then within that realm, you really start playing around with and you discover that there's even a much bigger realm than you thought there. So it's totally different disciplines, but it's an interesting insight that you guys kind of shared. But uh, I've noticed in your singing that you enunciate I think it seems very specific to me, but it also I'm sure is very natural. Um, so how did you develop your actual voice? Well, a lot of, a lot of singing over a lot of time. I mean, I was always singing like part and parcel of like my experience with early experience with music in the car was like singing. Um, and it was always the kind of thing where I could hit the notes. Um, as with a lot of your output as a musician, or creative person, right, depends a lot upon what you've been listening to and what, what you're putting in. So it's probably a collection of just a lot of different things that I've liked over time. I mean, I sang in, you know, musical musicals in middle school and sang in, again, like rock bands and indie bands. And in each one of those cases had to try and sing a certain way, right? Like the Broadway thing is totally different than the indie rock thing. Right. Um, 
And one thing that I love to do is still sing along to music, but really try and like sound exactly like that person. Hmm. I think the first person I did that with was uh, M Ward, who's got a very particular voice and uh, just tried to sound like M Ward for a few days. It was kind of weird. You know, uh, <laughs> I think my parents didn't really know Understand. why I was doing that. Didn't like it, but, uh, you know, uh, same thing with like Roy Orbison. Like one of my favorite things to do is just like put on a full record and like cook something and try and sing right. like Roy Orbison. Um, and again, the same way with, with playing guitar and, and writing songs, you sort of learn these different tricks. Um, now I'm not going to, Again, I, I don't want to go sing exactly like any of those people sing because those are their voices. Um, but it's all got to leak in, you know, somehow. Uh, and all those styles kind of sort of come together, right? Right. That's interesting. It's like research. It's kind of banking it and it'll just, it goes into that melting pot that you kind of said and, and it comes out in something kind of fresh and new. Um, but it's 100% you, which is, which is really cool. Yeah, an I interesting mean, way to think about it. Y you hope that something of your own comes out of it. Yeah, um, there's you know there's a lot of different people have a lot of different goals when yeah. when making music and singing and, and writing. And some people really work hard to to really strongly reflect the music that they love. Yeah. Um, but I kind of think it happens anyways. I don't think you really have a choice. Um, sometimes that can be a pain, right? Like sometimes you're writing and you just come up against this wall because you're just aware of the fact that you're doing something right. that you just heard like two weeks ago. Well, that was a question mm -hmm. we wanted to kind of ask, like, you know, just your feedback loop, you know, who are the trusted folks that get to hear the the good, the bad, the ugly, right. and, and you're trusting to take that feedback and address it. The, so the, a circle of the cabal. Yeah. The cabal. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> it's in the cabal. Um, well, I'm lucky to work with um, musicians, you know, guys mm -hmm. in my band, uh, yeah. work with a producer, a guy named Abe Seaforth, record all my music with him uh, in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. And so these days we sit down and listen to the songs in a very raw form and we kind of work on them together. Uh, guys in my band, um, some of them I'll, I'll send these like kind of raw demos to or we'll hang out and I'll force them to listen to it and give me opinions. I have, you know, old friends that I send music to. If I'm in a certain mood, maybe anyone who's around me, you know, if it's something that's fresh and it's on my mind, I'll be like, oh, dude, I was working on this. You should, you should just check it out. <laughs> I, t I try take the opinions, but take them lightly and try and, and try and figure out, you know, just find a, a balance between how much you want to let other people tell you what it should sound like and, and how much conviction you have in your own thing. Yeah. Uh, the stuff that I love to hear, and maybe this is a pointed note for some of my friends, <laughs> is uh, it's more just, you know, like how these songs work and, and if they don't, like why they don't. And that's the cool thing about sharing it with people I play with and people I respect who are great players is that's what it's about. You know, it's figuring out like what were you trying to do? Did it? succeed if right. not what can you do um and and how can you how can you make it better because uh, after a certain point i'm a little less concerned with i like this one you know i didn't like this one as much because taste is taste and i trust mine yeah know? yeah well on that note i think uh you've agreed to come 
play play a song for us that nobody's yeah. heard, or is it de- is in current demo form? Is that it's it's in a sort of an infant form? Okay, uh, yeah, it's never really been recorded or shared. And admittedly, Jed and I will only be able to say if we like it or not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, you respect our opinions. Obviously, you've known yes. us for about an yes. hour. Well, I came to Baltimore, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You want to get into it? Yeah. All right. Great. Day I bathed the sun to set like all the days that came and went before it and no matter how well spent Well I can stand an afternoon that heats my brow chases bloom out of their shoes and you should know the truth oh my love i'm a moon bather give me silver give me dew i'm a moon bath taker and i'm waiting oh it's true and i'm waiting I can spare a summer's day in endless talk of endless play sailing haze fills your veins with sand but I am me After all, I'm a moon bather You can carve it on my tomb I'm a moon bath taker And I'm waning, oh, it's true And I'm waning, I'm a moon bather Give me silver solitude if it wasn't going to be annoying to the people listening, but that was, un- that was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you. That guys. was awesome. Thank you. It was incredible. So, um, speaking of songwriting, where did the ideas for those, uh, those lyrics come from? Right. So, uh, song is called is moon bather. And that's one that, I mean, I, I talked a little bit about certain songs just get mainlined in and you don't even really feel as much in control. And then others, you really take the time to work on or you, you know, he set out to do a certain thing. That one was in the uh, in the previous category. That was m- almost purely just kind of happened, which is always it's a lot of fun. Um, but the the concept 
of the song, the main feel of the song did come from a particular moment. I was uh, touring a little bit last summer. Uh, so I'd been on the road for I don't know, a week and a half or two weeks. The way I was doing it, I was playing a bunch of solo acoustic shows. Uh, and I was touring with another great band, friends of mine. But for these logistical reasons, we took different cars. So I was probably clocking eight to ten hours of solo car time every day. A lot of alone time, which I enjoy, you know. Right. Uh, but there's there are limits, and it does have a certain impact on you <laughs> psychologically. <laughs> right. And the way you are able right. to socialize or not. Um, but this was at the end of this run, uh, and I had just... Uh, pulled into this little like kind of cabin in what was it Red Rock, New York, I think. So upstate New York to meet a bunch of friends to have the sort of least masculine bachelor party ever, which was just <laughs> to sort of like sit in this nice home for three days and cook a bunch of great meals and sort of like have a bonfire. Right. It was sort of really nice way to end the tour, right? To come into that run. And there's this huge, huge hill. You could have probably skied, snowboarded, made a nice run down uh, on this property. Um, Cross the little river, you go up, and there are two Adirondack chairs at the top of this hill. We went out there. Um, maybe we were smoking a joint. It's possible, you know. Um, that was assumed, by and the way. The, and the moon was <laughs> just big, right? Just super big. It might have been a special kind of moon. I'm not as well-versed. In the phases red, of the, the moon. red wolf, the red what, wolf, what was the blood, blood super moon? Yes, yeah, cool. Uh, we'll call it, it that. It seemed like a super moon. I was enjoying it a lot. Um, and someone was just saying, said the word moon bath, and I just hadn't heard that word in what I felt like was years. And I didn't, I hadn't thought about a moon bath, right? It was summer, and I was constantly thinking about sunbathing because we managed to get to some really nice lakes and different kind of beaches throughout this tour, which was really nice. I'm, I'm more of a, of a cool weather kind of winter person. Um, and I burn very easily. You know, it's just a simple fact about me that I can't really avoid or change that I just burn. Uh, so this concept of a moon bath just seemed really nice. Um, and the fact that I was enjoying it so much, in that moment, I think I just like sort of earmarked that moment. And then about three weeks later, got home, slept for like a week and then started to fool around and had the little riff. And I just, I just kind of knew that that was something I wanted to, to talk about, sing about. So where, um, in sort of, sort of the life stage of this song, is it now? The song's finished. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy with, you know, I'm not going to edit it, you know, anymore. Have you words. recorded it? I've recorded on my cell phone, you mm -hmm. know, I have a voice memo of it. Right. But there's no arrangement of it. There's no hi-fi. We'll progress to that that point coming up here soon yeah, in the I, future. I or? hope so. I mean, I'm working on a big batch of songs right now. Uh -huh. uh, they're in different phases. Some of them are more fleshed out than others. Some are higher priority than others. Right. Um, a lot of different considerations go into that. Uh, this is a song that I kind of like in a more raw place. I usually like my, I think it's going to be difficult to record this song and give it full treatment because I really like the way it sounds being recorded on 
like a shitty phone, you know, microphone in the corner of a room, you know, where you can feel the and room. And when you say shitty corner of a room, you're talking about another room and not the Oh, podcast. no, not this. Oh, okay. Not this. Not this. Uh, <laughs> this studio setup we have I'm Very here. self-conscious. Very, very deluxe. No, this is, uh, this is a... This is the voice memo, which is really the only recording of the song. It's cool because I've, I've heard bands that have gone and done like they used to do like on K-Rock. They used to and, and XPN, you know, the, the tiny desk and everything like that. And they can never recreate the magic of that one performance. So they just release that sort of raw stripped down version. That becomes the version. Yeah. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Not to say that this won't be that version, but, you know. I can. I have an audio file. If you want it, I have to say though, I feel like it was. uh, You know, like we're in a small room right now, and it's three of us. I mean, it was. It was really, really awesome, and it was. But it was like a a sort of an an intimate tone that you had. So I feel like the way you're describing how you feel like it should be recorded makes a lot of sense to me. I didn't want to make eye contact with him. No, I mean, that's so fucking great. You you said before we were talking about you getting feedback from other people and, you know, you just want to hear like, does it work or not? So sort of segues into this question. Is there a song, a cover that you love to play? Because the assumption would be that that obviously works. And, and if there is, why does it work for you? I don't play covers often. I play hmm. them for myself. Okay. I, I'd love to sit and sort of be my own jukebox that I, I enjoy a lot because that's how I started kind of. But um. The only cover I've really played in, in recent history has been uh, "Torn," which is uh, was popularized by Natalie Bruglia in the nine in the mm-hmm. late midnight mid late nineties, um, and that was a song that was on pop radio when I was a kid, and I always liked it. Um, it was catchy, yeah, uh, but I thought it was a cool song, and. Um, have continued to listen to listen to it. Like I never really stopped listening to it. You know, it's not in my everyday music diet, but um, it stuck with me uh, hmm. as I think it did for. It was everywhere for oh, I mean, a hot I, minute. I, the, whole, yeah. the song's in my head right now. Yeah, I, yeah. I know the whole song. Yeah. I remember yeah. the, um, the video. Yeah. She's attractive. Hmm. And there, yeah, there are things about the song that I, uh, <laughs> that I, that I still enjoy, right? Like the way it's arranged uh, and, just the song itself. But what I do with it is I just, just because I liked the song, I would just take it and do it much in the same style as the song I just played, you know, just finger pick it out uh, and make it a little bit more delicate and just focus on the vocal melody. Um, there are so many songs that I want to hear reinterpreted by you right now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> no, the, the imagination is like running wild. I'm like, well, yeah. what about this one? Right. What about this? Um, it's, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun exercise. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's always good to, if you are going to cover a song to try and stamp it in your own way a little bit, change it at least a little bit, you know, nothing wrong with, with covering songs. Nothing wrong with playing in a cover band, doing like a good job playing other people's music. Um, one of my favorite things to do is go see people play tunes, country classics and other songs, you know, there's a, yeah. the honky tonk in Brooklyn, like go hear all this classic stuff and it's amazing. Um, and I could never do it cause I don't have the chops and I don't have the catalog. Right. Um, so there's, that's a totally cool thing. But for me, if I'm going to play Natalie and Bruglia, I'm not going to try and be Natalie and Bruglia right. because it, you know, I can't be Natalie and Bruglia for that, a lot of is reasons. That, is so that'd that, be challenging. 
Is that based on the venue? Are you making like stylistic or, or set lists based on the room you're playing in? And then that kind of leads into like, what's your favorite place to play or what are you yeah. looking forward to? Um, I will change a set list uh, depending on where I'm playing, what my setup is. Uh, we played a big show a couple of weeks ago in, in Williamsburg at the Brooklyn Bowl, which is it's a larger room. And uh, I took out a song or two that the slower song or two and just figured people were going to be there. You know, there's going to be a big stage, big sound. May as well use that and, and right. help people move a little bit. You know, this right. Saturday night, right? Yeah. Heavy drinking. A lot of drinking, uh, on you know, on both sides of you know, the performer <laughs> audience divide. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, there's when you're on a bigger stage and you're in those environments, it feels it's more it's kind of more fun to to rock a little bit. Right? How many how many shows have you played today? I don't know. Well, I guess in maybe in this current incarnation in this pursuit of, of the co- the country part. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I mean, I... Do you still get nervous? Not, no, not really. Um, the shows that make me nervous are the really small ones. Hmm. Um, we played two weeks ago at Brooklyn Bowl, and it was a great time, and there were a lot of people out there. You couldn't see anyone's faces. You just knew that they were having fun. And yeah. That seems counterintuitive, but that's pretty cool insight. Like, yeah, well, you know, it's it's uh, there's more of a a felt kind of divide between yeah, uh, makes sense the performer yeah. in that case. But if you are in like a, a cafe or a tiny bar playing on like a Tuesday night, and you, you're just playing like your stuff solo, and twelve people were kind enough to be there, and they're sitting. <laughs> you know, two feet away from you looking directly into your eyes and maybe you know those people, you know, you can think about the way each of those people are reacting to what you're doing. Well, then you then you have job. a lot to yeah. think about. Wow. Yeah, jeez. Then yeah. you've got a lot to think about. Um, I'm getting anxiety right now. It's tough. Um, so yeah, isn't there different challenges? Huh. So that's the, that's the local scene, but I think your aspirations are much bigger than that, which you know, speaks to the, to the business end of that. Who's helping you do that? Or how much time is spent in your day, less songwriting, but more just your personal brand and how that shows up right now, probably as much time, if not more time is spent on that side of things than is, you know, purely focusing on the music. I think you're always working. Uh, if you are an artist, you're a musician, you are in a creative field and you don't have a salary or some sort of structure or a set of goals that are assigned to you and you're choosing the way you need to go about things, you're always working in some way. And part of that work is actually just figuring out like what your next step should be because there are no rules to any of it. There's not a guidebook, you know, and if you're in the stage where I am, you have to be your own manager, right? And I am, uh, I don't know how good of a, of a manager I am, um, but it takes a lot of time, you know, makes the distinction between what people perceive, yeah. you know, commonly perceived to be a successful career versus not. And I'm, I'm not saying that success is hinged upon, you know, wider exposure or anything like that. Uh, some people just love making music, put out great records. They can still tour, they do their thing and it, it's great. Um, 
but for people who are really like trying more specifically to ha envision a certain kind of career for themselves, like one of the hardest things is doing that kind of work because uh, it's not fun. You know, yeah. uh, right. it's not fun to do. Uh, it's not what I want right. to be doing. Uh, I don't think it's what a lot of, we want to like, we being people who write songs, make music, we, we want to just sort of do that. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a entitled position to yeah. be in, yeah. you know, to, to be upset because you can't spend all of your time doing the thing that you love. Right. But, uh, but it does, you know, it is upsetting. That's <laughs> and, interesting. Uh, You're taking all that on yourself in turn, including like artwork. Well, I have, you know, I have friends and yeah. friends are a huge part of all of this. Yeah. yeah. And, and, when it comes to trying to do something creative, you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta lean on people yeah. uh, and ask things of people. Um, but I've got really talented friends. Yeah. They're kind of propping you up and helping fill in the gaps. Yeah. And, you and you people kind of pull each other up and that's yeah. the nice thing about having a community of that's people. Cool. And yeah. that's why it's so important to always try and form that and be a part of it. Right. And that's um, what you're, you're building a personal brand. It's just the housekeeping, man. The, you know, it's 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 unfortunate, and we've had other artists on the show that echo the same thing. Like they they don't want it to be like that, but it, they have to if right. they want to make a living doing what they love. They yeah. it's it's just a necessary evil until you get to obviously a certain level where maybe you can uh, delegate that at, at some degree. Well, you know? anyone who's listening to this, I'm <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready to take delegate. that, take yeah, that on. I'm ready to me. delegate a lot of um, stuff. No, I mean, I think really the all of that grappling and, and whatnot, it, the the point is that I want to share what I'm doing with yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to do that. Well, we're going to do yeah. our part here. Yeah. Get the word out <laughs> on you. I Absolutely. think uh, it's going to be guys. really cool. Um, you want to hit the house? Yeah, let's do it. So, Hey, you, you obviously have given us a lot of insights already, but this is sort of the the, the heart of the show and the, the promise that we have. So if there's three or four things that you could tell somebody who's an aspiring songwriter or singer, uh, what, what should they do right now? Well, I think I mentioned before my first step and what I think probably is, is a good place to start for anybody is uh, really getting to know the things that you, that you like. So immersing yourself um, and exposing yourself and really doing it uh, with an intent to learn about these things. Um, listening to the stuff that you love, but doing it with like a guitar in your hand and playing along, even if you're just kind of absentmindedly noodling or kind of shaping these chords or trying to sound like the singer, right? Just like soaking yourself in the stuff that, that you like, that inspires you. Then the next step would be, I think I said this before too, is like taking that step back and deciding how you want to relate to all that stuff you just soaked up. What is your individual thing that you have to say? What can you add to that thing? Assuming that you're not just trying to be the person you look up to. What is it that you're going to do differently or what is the unique combination of those things that you love that you think is cool that you want to give to people how do you want to be when you share your thing um right so so separating yourself and deciding like what is your individual approach and what you have to say about it now that you have all this love and this information for these things and about these things 
Um, and then sharing it is really important. And as far as music goes, that's playing it live, playing shows. You need to do that. You got to cut your teeth and you got to, right. right? Not just because people tell you, you need to do this before we will do that for you. Right. But because it's important to know how your stuff lands. Um, testing songs is kind of a, is kind of a fun thing. It's kind of a cool thing. Um, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes the people that you're testing your music on didn't always come for that, <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but sharing it. Right. And so playing it live, trying to see how it, sits in certain spaces with certain people sending it to people that you trust um that you think could be helpful uh being very open to to criticism while at the same time knowing that like your step two which was deciding what you want to do is always going to have to be there right Right. it's going to be an important thing and then and then just kind of refining You've shared it. You you soak up whatever your insights are. You try and consider every kind of opinion, every result, right? Like this song worked that night in this place, and eh, but these people didn't like it, and and that kind of thing. And then trying to add it all together and figure out the difference, and then taking that kind of insight and applying your filter of well, how much do I actually really want to give a shit? You know, right, how much right. is it like I need to do this? Right. Um, and it's a balancing act. And then you go and you refine it. Um, and then the last part is to just to just not be afraid to to do it, to finally complete it. Right. To not be afraid of completion. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as music goes, in particular, people get into the studio and you can like you can get work in a serious anxiety zone. Like because you feel, oh, my God, these decisions I'm making are so permanent, you know, mm-hmm. should this guitar sound exactly that way? I'm not going to like it in two months. At the end of the day, you, you can't really do that. And I mean, someone I know and, and trust told me that, you know, if you're afraid to release songs because you're worried about the way they're going to be received or you're worried that you're going to run out of good songs, then you shouldn't be a songwriter, right? Like, it's not what you should be doing. Um, so, so not being afraid to, to say like, yeah, this is something that I've done. And here it is. Um, I know that you can continue to just keep yeah. to keep doing it. You know, that's interesting because that's that's a theme we've actually heard amongst other artists, not necessarily songwriters. I've just had the courage and to be comfortable with the fact that I did I made what I made in this space and time. And after it it's done, it's put away, I'm on to the next thing and I'm a different person then. So just embracing that you were what you were at that time and live with it, don't like it, whatever. That's your problem. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, you have to find the right moments to give yourself a break on some of that stuff. Um, You got to hold yourself to a high standard and and try and have a vision and and stay, stick to it. But there's going to be moments where you just need to give yourself a break on it. Otherwise you're not going (laughs) to do anything. Um, Right. And you know, it's embrace the process kind of. Yeah, I mean, oh, you gotta you gotta trust right that what you've done is what you should have done, and that you've you've taken at least something like the right step right. at all these different right. times, and like you trust the people that have helped you to do those things. And if you do, then you just gotta go for it. Um, and uh, you might not always like what happens in that moment, you know, and you might look back and still not. <laughs> 
uh, but you might and actually you do um yeah i think but by the time that i release the song like i'm done with that song i don't i don't want to hear it anymore for a long time i i don't usually don't like it by that point you know i've just been so in it and then maybe like three or four months later i'll I'll play it and that'll be a moment where i can either be like proud of that and that i did something and it sounds cool and the decisions i made then paid off and some you know to varying degrees but right right you you just gotta at some point trust yourself to do these things even if you're not a brave person uh you just gotta gotta do it because it's what you want to do yeah i think that's advice a lot of people wouldn't just take you don't have to be songwriters to take away from that and stuff so agreed, agreed. well good thanks man yeah thank you guys yeah this was this was amazing fantastic i thought sean was going to delve into philadelphia 76ers trust the process before but <laughs> no i held off stayed away from it <laughs> well, basketball i'm probably less qualified yeah. to, to speak on that's okay sean sean too um <laughs> no i'm just kidding so hayes please uh tell everybody uh where they can find you yeah, um, music of mine can be found on all the typical streaming platforms, Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Music, iTunes, all of those. On Instagram and Facebook, just Hayes Peebles. I'm the only one out there of that name. Um, I post everything about my shows up there, tours, releases. It's all, it's all on... Uh, our beloved social media. So uh, just type in uh, my name and, and fortunately I have a weird one. So you'll, you'll see me. It's a good advantage. People love the name. We've mentioned, uh, you know, you were coming on and that's a, that's a great, Ooh. that's a single well, cool great songwriter yeah, name, I mean, man. You know, it's the one I was You didn't given. have to work on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have, uh, you know, some people do, uh, I meet people sometimes after a show, before a show and be like, Man, that's a great stage name. How'd you come up with that? Like, oh, sorry. It's <laughs> <But, laughs> the real thing. That's it. Right, there goes that mystique. Check my ID. And that mystery. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome, man. Thanks for making the drive. Uh, it, it was me. definitely a pleasure. I mean, I, like this wouldn't have been the same over Skype. And no, obviously, no, certainly the performance um, is a, a reason to tune in in and of itself. It was amazing. Absolutely. Thanks Thank for sharing guys. that with us. Um, we feel really honored and uh, we'll be talking to you soon too kind too kind thanks for having me thanks well I have to say that our first live performance was super impressive I thought that song was was absolutely amazing and Hayes nailed it It catchy as hell and I think that goes back to what he was originally kind of making his point which was he doesn't want to be defined he doesn't want to be boxed in by terms like alt country or root rock or anything because he wants to be able to let his creativity take him anywhere he wants to take it. And uh, I think that's really a lesson to learn um, because I think as people start out, you know, they might feel the need to be defined by one thing or another. And I think Hayes was basically here saying, you don't need to do that and do what do it feels right and do what is original to you. Absolutely. And we will recap that sentiment in our show notes, which you can find at creativehowpodcast.com. And please don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Creative How Pod. And don't forget to smash the likes or write a review. Or do both. Hey, Jed, did you hear our kick-ass intro music? Shockingly, that's out of our technical wheelhouse here at Creative How. 
That type of sick sound design is a White Noise Lab original. White Noise Lab is a music composition and sound design studio that works with agencies, production companies, and brands on projects for film, broadcast, interactive websites, corporate videos, video games, and experimental projects. The chances that that movie trailer you just saw on you know, YouTube, that's probably a White Noise Lab original more often than not. So whether you're looking to fulfill your sound design needs or simply need someone to collaborate with on an experimental project or maybe an experimental podcast, check out whitenoiselab.com. That's whitenoiselab.com.